Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape and Beer, with support from the North Face. Never stop exploring. Dr. Squatch, get dirty, stay clean. Chorus, explore perfection. An element, restoring health through hydration. Yeah, I am recording, and the levels look, I don't know what any of the levels mean, but they look kind of the same as normal. July 2021. Basically a hiss in every room, and this bathroom is the only place where you can escape the hiss. Climbing Gold. Season two. Yeah, another day at Climbing Gold. I swear every time we record, I'm in a different room with its own set of limitations and and technical challenges. Where are you right now? I am in my bathroom with an external Wi-Fi router thing outside that doesn't really work. I am straddling my sink, and it's very hot. Okay, Alex, so what are we doing with season two? I feel like it has been a saga. So when we started climbing gold, we thought that we would be leading up to the Olympics, that we, we thought we would be doing a handful of episodes as the climbers got prepared, and then we would be in Tokyo interviewing the actual Olympians, and we the whole podcast would be leading up to and covering the Olympics. But then, of course, Tokyo 2020 got canceled because of COVID, and, uh, and so we went ahead with climbing gold anyway, because uh, it turns out there's a lot to talk about in the world of climbing. So now with climbing in the Olympics in Tokyo 2021, there are no spectators allowed. There's no external press allowed. Even the competitors aren't allowed to be at the Olympics longer than is required for their specific sport. So uh, so climbers don't even get to be there for the, the opening ceremony because climbing is later in the Olympics. And so needless to say, we will not be there interviewing Olympians. Instead, we, uh, we're just talking about the Olympics uh, remotely. You're doing commentary for the Olympics. Have you heard... Um... How are you going to be able to watch the the competition? Like, are they going to give you like a live stream or something for it? No, I, I have no idea how climbing will be viewed. Um, <laughs> I don't either. No, I, yeah, literally no idea. Um, I'm I'm assuming that since I am supposed to be doing some kind of commentary around it, I'm assuming that at some point someone will tell me how it works <laughs> and allow me to watch. But uh, you know, otherwise I'll just be trolling YouTube like everybody else in the world, trying to figure out who's winning and <laughs> climbing. Yeah. Though, though, to be fair, that's how most of my life is, having no idea how things are about to happen right up until they happen. <laughs> keeps keeps life adventurous, you know? It's all about living that life of adventure. When we started this project, I think it was like almost two years ago now, or like longer than two years ago, um, I remember emailing you or texting you something like, hey, I want to do a podcast about climbing going to the Olympics. And I was thinking like, oh, I'll hear back from, you know, Alex in a, a few weeks or something like that. And it was like almost immediately you were like, I'm in. What about the Olympics speaks to you? I mean, I personally like the Olympics because I like seeing excellence in human performance. I like seeing people do something very, very well. And the Olympics is basically a display of the finest physical human talents in the world. I mean, it's just nice to see people perform at an elite level. But beyond that, I mean, I'm particularly excited about the Olympics this year just because climbing's making its first appearance. You know, I mean, I've always liked watching track and field and gymnastics and whatever, but, you know, I'm a climber and I love climbing and it's a... Uh, Obviously, a lot more exciting to watch the Olympics if there are people rock climbing in it. Yeah. So, a uh, couple notes. This season is going to feel a little bit different than the first one. A little looser. Uh, we're going to drop several episodes in the coming days because, realistically, for climbing, history and the future of our sport is being defined right now. We'll talk to competitors and coaches, delve into the elements of climbing as a sport few of us consider, discuss the difficult sides of competition and the bright sides of growth for our sport. If season one was the past and present of climbing, this season is a glimpse into the future because, like it or not, what happens in the next few weeks will have a lasting impact. And to kick off season two, we wanted to start with a seemingly simple question. 
how did climbing become an Olympic sport? And it turns out the courtship between climbing, once thought of as fringe or extreme, and the mainstream sporting world has been in the works for longer than a large portion of our community has been alive. We talked to leading expert, journalist, author, and our newest producer, John Bergman, about how we arrived at climbing's Olympic moment. And Alex, I'm just gonna say it, I think, I think you're about to make some enemies with the sport of curling when they listen to this. All seven of them. <laughs> it's- yeah, fuck them. I, I can get I can get seven death threats. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> Actually, isn't isn't a whole curling team like 17 people? I feel like the, the ice is like swarming with people with brooms. <laughs> oh, you, you can't tell if they're curling or if they're just getting the ice rink ready for the hockey games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Honnold. I'm Fitzcall. This is Climbing Gold. My name is John Bergman. I'm a writer, a journalist. I cover the competition climbing scene, and I've been climbing for 21 years. John has joined our team as a producer to help us create season two. He was the author of High Drama, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Competition Climbing. And I think it might be safe to say that he could be the leading expert in the world on the history and evolution of competition climbing. So you want to talk us through the the path that climbing has taken to get to the Olympics? I mean, it's been a long time coming and, and climbers have talked about the Olympics for a long time. Uh, talk us through that journey. Yeah, so climbing is, a, is about to make its Olympic debut. But what is interesting is if you look at the history, there have been all of these little, uh, like, kind of notable, interesting moments or interesting instances of climbing either getting into the Olympics in in other forms, maybe not as a full-fledged competitive discipline, uh, or also as, uh, you know, maybe in a a kind of an earlier or different iteration of climbing. And one of the most important examples of that, I think, is what's called, what's known as the IOC's Award for Alpine Climbing or the Olympics Alpinism Prize, Um, however you want to phrase it. It was the, the Olympics recognizing alpine climbing as as a thing, basically. We're talking about the early 1900s, on the heels of what is widely considered the golden age of mountaineering, which had concluded in the mid, uh, mid kind of late 1800s, and so we're in the afterglow of that. The IOC notices this, this this cultural, pop cultural interest in, in mountaineering and alpine climbing, and they latch onto it. And so in beginning at, at 1924, the Winter Olympics, which were in Chamonix, the IOC decided to give an award to 13 climbers that had attempted to climb Everest two years earlier. And um, it was a a pretty sad, tragic, um, unsuccessful attempt, ultimately. And, and, you know, half the crew perished and um, kind of were were killed by avalanches and whatnot. But but still, it was a a remarkable human achievement or or a remarkable um, kind of example of the human spirit and 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 the IOC then gives a, an alpinism award again in 1932 
to some Germans who did an ascent of the of the Matterhorn in the Alps. And then they and they obviously gave another award for alpinism, another prize in 1936, the infamous games in Berlin that were attended by Hitler and whatnot. Um, and then and then World War II happens, and I think the IOC amid that kind of recalibrates a little bit and realizes that that any any endeavor that is in is that has as much risk as alpinism does, especially alpinism at the time. Uh, it's probably not something that the IOC should be awarding or celebrating. And so after World War II, when the Olympics come back in the mid-1940s, alpinism is, is no longer a part of it. It's not a discipline anymore that the IOC recognizes. And so it, it fades into history as this as this peculiar, quirky footnote. And John, it's like it's worth pointing out that like these, these type of endeavors... Um, it, it it just doesn't even look anything like what modern rock climbing looks like, right? Yeah. You you have to fast forward many decades. From what I have found, the the earliest mentions... <laughs> you, you, yeah. you have to fast forward many decades because climbing still didn't exist yet. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, that's the, there yeah. were literally no climbers to, to compete. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it wouldn't have been possible to have it in, in an Olympics in, like, the mid-20th century, but... The, the earliest mention I can see of, of the Olympics being talked about by climbing media, meaning like articles mainly in Climbing Magazine, Rock and Ice, stuff like that, is, happens in the late 80s. Which would make sense too, right? Because the UIAA, which is the, the, organiz- the global governing body that forms and starts to oversee climbing competitions, they form in like 1987. So it makes sense that like right around that time, a couple years later is when we start to hear... Um, buzz about, hey, maybe maybe climbing could be an Olympic sport someday. I actually have a, I wrote this quote down. This is from the August 1988 issue of Climbing Magazine. And uh, it says, the recently formed World Cup circuit features contests in the United States, Italy, France, Spain, Bulgaria, and Russia. And competition climbing will likely be included as a demonstration event in the next Winter Olympics in Albertville, France. Um so there it is. It's like in you know in print, um, referencing climbing likely being in the '92 Olympics, Winter Olympics. France is the host country of those Winter Olympics, and and as a as the host country, France can. I don't know if it's still true, but back then they could choose one sport, anything they wanted to include in the Olympics to bring it in as a demonstration sport. Um, and so people were thinking, yeah, climbing, it's like a shoe-in, right? Because France, not only is the UIAA headquartered there, but France, you know, with the Alps and stuff, it's also the, the birthplace of, of climbing as we think of it. So, um, so I think there was a lot of optimism that it would be included in those 92 games. So, so why did it take 30 more years to get there? To have something be an Olympic sport, you have to have a lot of countries that have national national governing bodies for that sport, right? And so if you're talking about like 1988, 1989, there was no USA climbing then. There wasn't there wasn't any sort of national governing body um, until the 90s for, for the American climbing, competition climbing scene. So I think that that was, I, I think that was problematic. So I think that that expectation that climbing would be in the 92 Olympics, I think maybe um, the logistics just weren't there. The idea that climbing was a sport, even that idea, it was really in its infancy. Realistically, competitions had just started happening on manufactured walls rather than out on the crags. The first climbing gyms were just springing up across the world. 
But in America, we were in the midst of a bitter internal struggle over bolts that almost ended climbing as we know it in the States. And the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, is a vast, powerful entity with serious internal politics. In those Winter Olympics, 1992, they had an event called the Pre-Olympics that was held like a week before those Albertville Games. And climbing was an event that was part of those Pre-Olympics. The climbers, they didn't stay in the Olympic Village or anything like that. But what's interesting is the the other sport that was like also vying to become like a real Olympic sport was curling. And... um, and, and curling actually ended up winning out. Curling ended up, it was a demonstration sport in those 92 games, and then it ended up being included in later Winter Olympics. And I've talked to competitors that were there at the 92 pre-Olympics, in, and the climbers were staying in the same hotel with the, <laughs> the curlers. And, and so I, I, I think that there was like some like angst between the climbers and the curlers because they knew that they were kind of both vying for like this... <laughs> this this Olympic inclusion. I always think it's funny to imagine like the climbers going down to breakfast or whatever at the hotel and like seeing the table of curlers and kind of like <laughs> that, that is so w- waving their fist. I, yeah. it, it's funny because I've always assumed that curl like I've always thought of curling as a bit of a joke in, in terms of a sport. And I always assumed that it was in the Olympics because it was some kind of old historic thing, like it had been in the Olympics for over a hundred years. But now to hear that curling beat out climbing, like that is so absurd. That's crazy. Yeah, it beat out climbing, and I, I should not speak authoritatively about the history of curling, but I think it did. It was in Olympics back in like the you know long time ago, and then it like it had a hiatus, and then it came back. But yeah, it was um, it was in like eighty eight, ninety two as a demonstration sport, and then I think the ninety eight Nagano Games is when it officially became like a steady part of the Winter Olympics. So. Um, I, I, I'm gonna interrupt. I like I'm always surprised anytime I watch the Olympics how much coverage curling gets like i know like who cares about curling and i feel like it's on all the time i I just i don't know why like i'm just like the first week of the winter olympics i feel like it's steady curling uh (laughs) i I wonder if i wonder if the curlers think the same thing about climbers right because we're always i'm like ah curling come on but like i don't know (laughs) maybe if there's like a what what would the climbing gold the curling curling gold or something (laughs) like maybe they're maybe they're kind of thinking the same thing about climbers i don't know no it's called the curdled gold curdled gold (laughs) it's like oh man that's just that's just that's just sad i don't i don't don't like curling i i definitely think it's a bummer that they beat us out for those the, the olympic spot So, so after climbing gets beaten out by curling, th- then what happens? I mean, why doesn't climbing go into the next Olympics? One of the answers that people, meaning people that work at like the IFSC and kind of the organizations that were involved in discussions, Olympic discussions, one of the answers they say is that you had to change perceptions of the people at the IOC, at the International Olympic Committee, the people that make the decision to include a new sport, you had to change their perception of what climbing was because a lot of them considered climbing to be an extreme sport, right? I think we've all had those discussions, those conversations with people that aren't climbers, and they have this really skewed, misguided perception of what climbing is. They think it 
you know, maybe it's just like this thing for an adrenaline rush or this thing where you're, you're kind of embracing, um, uh, like danger and risk. And it's not this methodical thing that we know it to be. Right. Um, and it, it takes a long time to change those perceptions. I think it could have been, it could have perhaps gone quicker and smoother, but the, the complicating factor was the X Games. Fort Adams, Newport, Rhode Island. Robin Herbisfield tried to get a grip on women's sport climbing. What are the X Games but like a celebration of sports as, as these big risky things, right? Extreme sports, like it's in the name. Hans Flooring in the speed event. The first, the first X Games in 1995 was actually called the Extreme Games, and then they changed it to the X Games. Um, and and it was the X Games were marketed and written about as this is like a quote the Olympics of extreme sports. So, and and climbing was of course part of the X Games from the get go, and so that kind of clashes with this the, the other idea of convincing the IOC that climbing is not an extreme sport, right? It's like, it's kind of like, imagine you're telling the IOC, like, climbing should be included in the Olympics because we're not an extreme sport at all. But at the same time, you're kind of like, oh, well, pay no attention to the fact that we're like this marquee sport in the extreme games, right? Like, it's this weird contradiction. As he slips on the right-hand side, hits the button, and Hans Florey, again, as he does an upside-down somersault, and is lowered to the ground, has now continued the streak, never losing a speed competition on the North American continent. What else happened in climbing in the 1990s was the the youth boom, right? Like the people, the Chris Sharma, Beth Rodden, um, you know, Tommy Caldwell, Katie Brown, these these young kids and and kind of like taking over the sport in a lot of ways in terms of the best performances and whatnot. I. I don't think the IOC was ready to have that influx of a sport that was kind of perceived as like a kid's sport. I know that I know that the the Olympics always has kind of its youth standouts, right? There's always the stories about like the the 16-year-old kid or something that like does something amazing. But in general, I think the IOC especially back in the 90s still wanted to present itself as kind of the pinnacle of adult competition right and then you have this sport that's booming with kids and all of a sudden there's like these 11 year olds 12 year olds 13 year olds that are like crushing um it's kind of it's it's kind of in conflict to to that so i think and that's all happening in the 1990s so that's that's why i think some of these olympic discussions got kind of stalled in that decade that's a really interesting perspective on competition in climbing because I mean that's exactly what I grew up through and it's funny because when you grow up and start climbing during all that that all just seems totally normal but now hearing you say it I'm like yeah that 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 does make sense that seen from an outside perspective seen from like an old person running the IOC you'd be like this is totally untenable like there's no way we're allowing these guys into into our storied institution of the Olympics it's interesting to look you know fast forward a couple decades later and they the IOC includes climbing precisely because they think it can help them reach the the youth the kid demographic right the younger audience um that turned out to be a big allure a a big draw of climbing in 2016 but that wasn't the case in 1994 95 96 and why did that change i mean what changed about the ioc or about the olympics that they suddenly wanted to appeal to kids 
just all I really have to go by is just the statements that the IOC made, President Thomas Bach made, which is just that I think it was just kind of this realization that like viewership was down for the Olympics. I think this realization that kids have so much more media grabbing at their attention these days um, that it's not it's no longer a guarantee that just because we are the Olympics, people will tune in. Right. I think it was like we actually have to pursue them to an extent. We have to like embrace sports that they would actually like the, the younger audience would actually want to see. After the break, climbing gets serious and the IOC proposes. And John hits his ultimate fandom. I've been a North Face athlete for almost 18 years, which has been incredible, and I've always appreciated their commitment to exploration. Summit Series is the name of the pinnacle North Face products that I use on every expedition. And I love that their tagline is athlete tested and expedition proven. I've personally tested these products all over the world and they've always proven themselves. Future Fleece is the next generation base layer that I wear almost every day of climbing outside, whether on the wall or at the crag. You can shop the full Summit Series collection at thenorthface.com. I first found Koros when I was looking for a GPS watch that could track my biggest outdoor adventures. I needed something with a massive battery life that was also robust enough to handle the climbing. As it turns out, Koros is the only GPS watch brand that has done some serious development for climbers, from multi-pitch GPS tracking to indoor programmed workouts. The watches have a mind-blowing battery life. The Vertex watch series lasts for more than 100 hours in GPS activities, so I only need to charge it once every several weeks. <laughs> I only need to charge my watch so sporadically that I can never find the charger because <laughs> I haven't used it in six weeks. <laughs> If you're interested in bringing new technology into your climbing training and tracking, you should consider their new Vertex 2S. Go to Coros.com and use the code CLIMBINGGOLD to secure a free watch carabiner with the purchase of your new Vertex 2S. In 2006, the on and off romance between the Olympics and climbing continues, and the IOC decides to put it in um, the Olympics as a demonstration sport. Like, there's there's no actual climbing. It's just climbers showing how to climb, like just doing cool moves and stuff, but not actually competing. It's kind of funny to think of, like, bouldering as a demonstration sport, right? You can't contest it. Uh, you, so what do you <laughs> Like, what, I don't know. What do you do? Are you just like, here's... You know, this is bouldering. This is a a back flag. This is, Actually, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, that's probably what goes on in isolation at all the comps where everybody's just sessioning together and you're just seeing elite boulders perform at an elite level and they're all sort of, you know, edging. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I could actually imagine that being sort of amazing. It's like you, it doesn't need to be an overt competition to see people trying to show how strong they are on boulders, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. Right after those 2006 olympics uh the demonstrations of climbing at those olympics that's when the olympic push for climbing really picks up steam it's absolutely come from the ifsc the president of the ifsc is marco scolaris he was a big proponent of the olympics he he was really intent on getting climbing um included as an olympic sport when then when the ifsc forms in 2007 and he is elected president he actually holds a vote. He, he holds a vote with 
you know, all the federation, all the com- kind of the people that are uh, the board at the at the IFSC. Uh, and the vote is, do we want to make an Olympic push? Like, do we want this to be a big focus of the organization? And what ends up happening is it's a unanimous vote that they that they do want to make that a, a focus, a prime primary focus of the IFSC. That's 2007 that they make that vote. So you can think, okay, well, like probably 2008-ish, 2009 is probably when they started really doing like dialogue about it and stuff. Um, and then in 2015, is when there are three climbing events, you know, the three we know, speed, bouldering, and lead, that are proposed um, to be included in the Olympics, along with baseball, softball, karate, skateboarding, and surfing. And this is 2015, and then in 2016, the announcement is made that climbing is uh, is going to be an Olympic sport. 2006, 2007, to, to 2016, like, that's actually pretty fast. But I think... As we've talked about, like if you're starting at 2006 or seven, you're really kind of starting at the at the midway point. With that perspective, it feels very slow. You know, if you're right. starting yeah. from uh, 1988, then you're like, wow, it's taking an incredibly long time to get climbing into the Olympics, especially with the Olympics delayed. You're like, now you're up to 33 years. You're like, geez, that's a, yeah. that's an entire climbing lifetime. That, that's 33 years. That's that's several generations of competitor, right? Like, and it's too bad that a lot of those competitors from the 90s or from the early 2000s, um, they never got to be on an Olympic stage because it's kind of fun to think about what they would have, you know, what like what Katie Brown or what Chris Sharma or what Robin Herbisfield, like what would they have done at an Olympics? I, I think I think we know that they would have won. But. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm curious, like, you know, from each of your perspectives, when that announcement got made personally did that feel like big news to you i was over the moon because i as a as a high schooler and and kind of like growing up i was really into to run i was a track and field you know runner and i ran cross country and stuff and so i was into running and and for running like the olympics have always been like the thing so i kind of grew up just as a fan a big fan of the olympics in general um and then so to suddenly know that climbing is going to be part of that fandom that like the my, my the two fandoms my climbing fandom and my my olympic fandom were gonna you know <laughs> join forces <laughs> um yeah it was pretty cool i was i was definitely pretty stoked that's mega that's peak fandom that's, that's all right. the fandom you can all you can handle you're gonna burst with <laughs> with our powers combined we <laughs> yeah, have exactly. ultimate fandom that's exciting no i mean i have to say i i mean i'm also excited for that just because you know, I mean, I, I've always loved the Olympics, too. I mean, I love seeing, seeing human excellence, you know, and seeing excellence in sport. And so, I mean, it is exciting, but I think it is just having grown up with 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 the Olympics always being just over the horizon. You know, it's like after 25 years of kind of waiting, you're like, ah, you know, we'll just we'll just see what happens. Yeah. And, and like you said, like it's still it's like I'm excited about it. But in the back of my mind, I'm still kind of like, well, like just like wait till wait till there's actually a climber like walking to the wall <laughs> to, exactly. to, to climb because as we know from this past year uh you know the world can kind of get topsy-turvy and and or, everything can change so. or wait until it actually gets broadcast you know like will anybody actually see it because you know if climbing happens but it's all sort of locked down and there are no fans and it doesn't get any airtime on tv like does that even does that even affect climbing i mean i would imagine they'll want to present it pretty significantly because there, because it was such a pillar of their whole um like goal of getting more young audiences 
right right like it would be it would be mm. weird to 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 work so hard to include these new sports for the younger audiences and then like not make them readily available to viewers so interesting yeah i, I hope so i mean it'll be interesting to see i think it's super quickly worth backing up right um while we were doing our reporting and talking with the international federation of sport climbing it really became clear that the inclusion you know while it was this incredible win uh, it also came with a lot of decisions and caveats, and it wasn't totally ideal. Basically, the, the IOC gave climbing one set of medals for women and men. They capped the total competitors at 40, and no country could have more than four athletes except the host country, which could have up to six depending on qualifying events. And it led to some tough decisions for the IFSC about the event. Uh, John, can you tell us a little bit more about that? So the IOC accepted climbing, included climbing into the Olympics, and they they said to the IFSC, you can choose, we'll give you one set of medals, you can choose what what you want to do, how you want to contest these medals, right? Like, And so the IFSC could have done a number of things. They could have just brought in a single discipline, like, okay, we're going to have bouldering be the Olympic climbing sport. Or they could have combined two disciplines or they could do what they did and, and combine all three. The The reason that they combined all three, and I've heard this from people at the IFSC, the reason they did it is because they knew whatever climbing events make it into the Olympics, that is where the interest is going to go, and that is where the money, additional sponsorship money, all that, that's what's going to go, right? People, Sponsors and people, they're going to want to follow whatever climbing discipline is the Olympic climbing discipline. And so the IFSC's choice to include all three was so that so that there were not any sports left behind. How did a lot of the Olympic hopefuls react to the announcement of the combined format? Yeah, I it was definitely not popular. It was definitely not popular. It's still not completely popular, although I think at this point people have just kind of like warmed up to it and accepted it. Um it was not popular because nobody was an all-arounder, right? It didn't suit anybody at first because climbing had never been combined in that. The, the events had never been combined in that sense before. So it was so foreign and, and it was so strange to all of a sudden force these different skill sets to, to kind of live together. Um, yeah, a lot of objection to that. I think, Alex, I think, I don't know if, like, I think I even remember, like, hearing reading articles where you were asked about it like as it was you know in like 2016 when it was like first announced am i remembering that correctly could be could be i mean i've certainly yeah been asked about the olympics quite a bit i mean like the combined discipline specifically like what like what you think of it yeah yeah though i i think uh you know correct me if i'm wrong but i think i've always been very supportive of it because even though the competitors don't like being forced to do something new I think it's great. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to measure the best climber in the world, I mean, it should be as, as broad as possible. But I understand why competitors on the surface wouldn't like it. But for me as a viewer, yeah, like it's really exciting. I mean, yeah, the, like the, for sure. I mean, speed climbing is the most interesting thing for a viewer. And so, you know, I know that core climbers complain. They're like, I only want to see bouldering. I only want to see lead climbing. But you're like, dude, the speed climbing is what the average person thinks is incredible. It's like, yeah. you know, you know, throw them a bone. It's like, it's the Olympics. Like, at least pander to the audience a little bit. I think it's important to point out that, that, that there is criticism maybe that could be kind of pointed to, at the format. 
But actually, the reason it exists, the reason the Olympics will have the combined format is to precisely to save sort of, quote unquote, like save these other dis- save all the disciplines. So you don't get any of those disciplines left behind in terms of fandom, in terms of sponsorship and all that stuff. No, I, I definitely think that. I mean, it's kind of the only choice. It's like you can't leave some aspects of climbing behind because suddenly they're just abandoned. That'd be, that'd be so sad. I don't know if that explanation about the the reasoning behind it was communicated as well as it could have been, um, because maybe if people had realized that from the get-go, there would have been less objection to it, but maybe not. I, don't well, know. I think the real thing that should have been communicated more was that there was only one medal at stake, however they chose the format. And, you know, basically it's better to have more climbing involved in one medal than less climbing involved in the one medal. You know what I mean? Because yeah. most people that I've heard complain about the format in the Olympics, they're just like, well, they should have different, you know, different competitions. And you're like, yeah, that's great. But if you only have one medal to give and, and that's all you're allowed to do, then you may as well bring in as much climbing as possible into that one medal. Unsurprisingly, it's not that easy to get Olympic medals to give out. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. You're like, oh, after, you know, big and, and, surprise. Yeah, and after like 30 years or whatever of trying to do it, like, <laughs> yeah. we'll take what we can get, you know? Okay, one totally. medal. All right, that's fine. We'll take it. After the break, we talk Team USA and find out why it's time for competition climbing to grow up and leave rock climbing behind. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix formulated with a science-backed ratio of sodium to potassium to magnesium. Each packet delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. It tastes great, and I've used it extensively on expeditions. Element is formulated for anyone looking to restore health through hydration, and is perfectly suited for athletes, folks who are fasting, or those following keto, low-carb, whole food, or paleo diets. Try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, they'll refund your order, no questions asked. So whether you're new or returning Element customer, you can get a free Element sample pack with any drink mix order when you go to drinkelement.com slash climbinggold. That's drinklmnt.com slash climbinggold. Dr. Squatch crafts natural, high-performance personal care products with no harmful ingredients. I don't shower often, but when I do, I use Dr. Squatch. I especially like the Wood Barrel Bourbon Bar Soap. From soap to shampoo to conditioner, they help me look, feel, and smell my best for whatever adventure I choose. They're offering new customers 20% off any purchase with the code CLIMBINGGOLD. Or you can go to drsquatch.com slash honald. Dr. Squatch, get dirty, stay clean. So how would you say that Team USA has been doing in climbing so far? I, I've been really... Th- <laughs> really thrilled with how Team USA is do, has been doing because I remember when the Olympics were first announced in 2016, there was all this initial, there, there was like instant excitement around just in the climbing community, at the climbing gyms. Uh, if I, I don't know if you can think back, but like the like people were like really stoked about it. And I would always say like, yeah, it's really cool, but like, you know, like an American might not even qualify right like (laughs) we might like you might not you know we might not have an american even even into the olympics and so then the hope is is just like oh well let's let's at least hope that we get one american to to make the olympics and i remember when brooke rabatu qualified at hachioji at the world championships in 2019 it was kind of like 
from my uh, in my head, I'm like, okay, like it's kind of a sigh of relief because everybody can kind of continue with their fandom now because there is there was indeed going to be an American in the Olympics. Um, and then of course we ended up crushing, you know, in, in Toulouse you get Nathaniel Coleman and and Kyra Condi qualify, and then and then at the the Pan Am's Colin Duffy qualifies. So um, yeah, it's great. I mean, like we've got four Olympians, there are four Americans in the Olympics, and that's not every country can say that. Some countries don't have any some countries um for example canada has just two sean mccall and alana yip so um i don't think there's any way you can look at the fact that americans have four and not just be impressed by that yeah it definitely feels like a high point for american competition climbing right now because i think that on the global scale for the last 10 years or so i mean just americans have never really excelled on the world cup circuit and so I think to see four Americans qualified for the Olympics is sort of a exciting sign. So would you say that in a way that the, the USA seems to sort of almost be overperforming right now? Because if you look at how this year's World Cup circuit, for instance, like we've been doing the best we've we've ever um, really done as a, as a team. I mean, we've had some great competitors through the years, but but like overall, like as a, as a as a country, we've been we've been having some you know more success than we ever had before. It's interesting. The question of has USA Team USA overperformed? I, I think that that kind of implies it, that it's almost like a fluke, right? It's like they shouldn't they shouldn't perform this well, but they have. And so I don't know if I would say that we have overperformed. No, I, would, I don't think I don't think it implies a fluke. It implies that they've sort of exceeded the expectations. The expectations of. Yeah, in that sense, yeah. I think then maybe it would be fair to say that they have, um, they've, they've overperformed. They've certainly exceeded expectations, and especially to your point when you compare it to kind of like World Cup consistent World Cup results. Yeah, I mean, up yeah to when that you point. look at the when you look at the World Cup results, you know, week after week, the finals rounds are are you know five Japanese out of the top eight or something like that, and you're sort of like, oh, clearly Japan is going to be hosting a full team of four because they basically dominate every competition they go to and you know the u.s has just never had that i mean with american competition climbing you see you know a couple people in finals maybe and you're like wow like what a big week you know it's not the consistency that you see from team japan or something like that so so i'm definitely really curious like is this are we starting to see kind of like a new the the dawning of like a new era in american climbing where maybe we do have the depth the team depth the consistency of teams like japan or teams like slovenia because now it's not just saying we've overperformed with the olympics um it's it's like well that we also you know we did exceeded expectations in a lot of respects at those world cups as well right and so it's kind of like oh well when does that switch flip and you're and you're not exceed you're not exceeding expectations anymore but you start to kind of like oh maybe we can start expecting americans to have some depth and some consistency at the global level i don't know maybe we're maybe we're like entering that new that new comp climbing era you know right now our our sport in the last 10 years the it's growing the standards are rising um the sports become more diverse, more accessible. It's less foreign to the mainstream. There's been like this complete level of steady growth inside of our community. I don't think climbing really needs the Olympics. I think that the Olympics needs climbing. Billions of people watch it, but the ratings have been falling. The city's bidding for the Olympics. They've they've hit record lows in 2018. And I just, from your standpoint, like 
do we need the Olympics or does the Olympics need climbing? Competition climbing has always existed and been coupled with um, real, real, you know, climbing on real rock, climbing outdoors. Climbing is a house, right? And you have these different, every discipline uh, and every niche has its own room. So you have like the room of trad climbing, you have the room of uh, ice climbing, you have the room of sport climbing, uh, and and comp climbing has always just been like a room in that house. And I think that that has been fine so far for comp climbing to grow bigger. It needs to, it would need to separate itself a little bit from the rest of those rooms and it would need to go and become its own house because otherwise it's always going to be um, connected to those other disciplines and not allowed to grow without a ceiling or without any connection to those other disciplines. I think if we really want to lean into further separating competition climbing from the rest of climbing, then the Olympics can really help it do that. It can really help give competition climbing an identity and an aesthetic and a fan base um, that is completely detached and not part of the rest of the climbing world. And I think that's, and and, and so in in that sense, I think it's, I think the Olympics um, are good for competition climbing. Another thing is the Olympics are the platform, the best stage for creating megastars of a sport. And so the Olympics give us an opportunity to create megastars of the competition climbing scene completely separate from the stars of the rest of climbing. It's just interesting. I mean, your analogy of climbing as a house and competition climbing moving moving out and becoming its own house. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways, that reminds me a lot of the ski industry and how Olympic skiing and sort of resort skiing is feels very different than big mountain skiing. And, you know, professional skiers can either be a big mountain skier or an Olympic skier, but there's almost no crossover or, you know, I guess the only crossover is people going from competition skiing and eventually transition to the outdoors as they get older. And, you know, I just wonder if climbing is going to have that kind of hard break to it as well as, as it progresses. To, to reach its full potential, it needs to be allowed to go out into the world and like create its own identity separate from, um, from the rest of climbing. That's not to say that it has to like lose the soul of of the rest of climbing, right? Like just just in the sense that if a, I don't know, like I don't want to belabor the metaphor, but like if a teenager or a, a kid moves out of his house with his parents, like he's still, he still learned a, a lot from those parents and he still draws a lot of who he is or she is from those parents. Um, but it is possible then to go elsewhere and like develop its own identity, you know, a, a unique identity and a unique persona. And in the case of competition climbing, its own fan base, its own, uh, its own world. I think it's important to keep in mind that the Olympics should not be the end goal. And it's easy to kind of get carried away and think that it is because it's such a monumental thing. And it's such a great thing that climbing is included in the Olympics. It's exciting for all of us. Um, it's exciting to like, you know, be able to like, turn on NBC, like network television, and see they're talking about climbing. That's like a really surreal moment. And I'm not saying there isn't some downside to that, but like, it's cool. It's cool that climbing is in the Olympics, but I think it's important to realize that that the Olympics should just be a stepping stone. The larger, the goal is not the Olympics. The goal, in my opinion, should be like positive growth. 
well, why can't the comp scene become its own thing and change people's lives and better people's lives in another way? Maybe not the same way that climbing on real rock does and going to the crag does and falling in with like the other dirt bags does. Maybe comp climbing can become its own thing, move out of the house completely separate, and it can better people's lives and change people's lives in the form of eventually having competition climbing, you know, get NCAA sanctioning, which can lead to college scholarships, which can, you know, lead to hopefully a vibrant professional circuit where comp climbers can make a living, can make a career on the comp scene. Like, I think there's room for competition climbing. This is what I mean when I say it. I hope it can establish its own identity. It's um, kind of separate from, from the whole identity of real rock climbing. I think there's room for both in the in the world. But I think to get there, you need to kind of further separate the two. Thanks, John, for helping us dive into it all and joining the team. We cannot recommend John's book enough. High drama. It's pretty cool. Check it out. Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape and Beer. Alex Honnold is our host. This episode was written and edited by me, Fitzcahal. Additional editing and mixing by Matt Martin. Our senior producer is Elizabeth Nakano. Music today by Brendan O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller. Our executive producers are Becca Cahal and Lisey Hendricks for Duct Tape and Beer, and Jonathan Retzik and Ben Endy for RXR Sports. Thanks for listening to Climbing Gold. <laughs>